Alexa, play Trending in Education. Welcome back to Trending in Education. Uh, Mike Palmer here with uh, a special guest. Uh, today we're joined with uh, joined by Michael Fitzpatrick, uh, the COO and president of uh, Polstring. Uh, welcome, Michael. Thank you. Excited to be here. Uh, very happy to have you. And uh, just to be clear to our listeners, Michael is uh, is human uh, analog form. Uh, so you are not a bot. You are not a voice assistant of any kind, as far as I can tell. Am I? <laughs> yeah. But uh, we're here to talk uh, in part about uh, voice and, and the power uh, of voice as a platform, uh, which is something that I know uh, you in particular have been uh, very interested in and uh, polstering uh, as a company has been focused on uh, for a little bit of time now. Um, we did want to go a little bit deeper uh, there uh, as part of today's, uh, today's podcast. Uh, but I thought maybe just to, to begin, uh, can you give our listeners a little bit of context around uh, what Polstring is and uh, what, you've been, uh, what you've been trying to accomplish there? Sure. Uh, again, thank you for having me. Uh, Polstring was founded in 2011 by uh, two former Pixar uh, execs. One was the CTO of Pixar and helped build the software that the animators use to craft amazing stories such as Toy Story mm -hmm. and Finding Nemo and, the, and a variety of others. Uh, and they started the company with a goal of actually creating talking toys. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the daughters uh, said, Dad, why can't I talk to my teddy bear like I can see them talking on screen? Mm -hmm. And in 2011, that was extraordinarily ambitious. The technology wasn't in place yet. Uh, nobody had really tried to actually make that happen, and particularly for children. So uh, thus, Polstering was born, and uh, the journey has been a lot of fun. The, the company has focused really from the beginning on building great conversational experiences powered by technology on one side of the conversation. So mm -hmm. Uh, over the course of those years, we've built software that helps brands and agencies and others, storytellers really figure out how to leverage the various components of a AI-powered computer conversation to craft a really good persona mm -hmm. and a great experience that keeps people engaged and returning to learn more about whatever it is that uh, that character is bringing forward. So it's been a great journey, I think, with the proliferation of these smart speakers over particularly the last year or two. Yep. The, the challenges uh, have emerged around how to build really great computer conversation, and that's an area we've spent a lot of time on and, and built some wonderful characters. Yeah, excited to, to kind of dig in a little bit on, uh, on much of this. So um, uh, taking, uh, taking a few steps back in our Wayback Machine, um, thematically, the idea of intelligent uh, computer agents that can speak to humans, that's been around for, for some time. It was uh, very much part of uh, science fiction. Uh, thinking back, uh, you know, when we were prepping uh, prior to the show, we were talking about uh, the HAL uh, 9000 from, yes. uh, from 2001. Uh, uh, how far back do do these uh, these types of uh, uh, of applications uh, resonate within our pop culture? Like, what are what are some of the earlier references that that you're aware of? Well, certainly, 
there's in, as, as computer science has emerged as a category and then you had some incredibly forward thinkers uh, in the 50s, 40s, 50s and 60s, I think a lot of these use cases for a talking technology stack of some kind have emerged and certainly in, in uh, one of the most popular concepts is of course HAL and, and uh, it's uh, wonderful that the bar was set so high in some respects. I mean, it's of course an evil sure. uh, assistant in the end, but uh, the original um, the original scope of being able to simply talk and use basic com verbal communication to control incredibly complex systems is something I think we're still striving to achieve. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're starting to see some of the potential here as we get really good at parts of the equation. So for example, Speech recognition used to be an incredibly challenging part of the overall puzzle. How do you convert what you and I are talking about right now into something intelligible that a computer could take action on? Yep. That has, uh, over the last few years in particular, made huge, huge progress, uh, which is exciting. And we're getting to accuracy rates that are on par with humans uh, in certain tests. Mm -hmm. uh, that's amazing. Now I'm figuring out what the heck they're saying is the second part of that. So you can go from text or speech to text. That's part of the equation. Next part is how do you actually interpret that and do something with that information? So that is also known as intent recognition has uh, been something that a lot of progress has been made. And as we all start talking to these uh, machines in our homes, our cars, even our office uh, parks the, increasingly, each time we interact with those, they get better and better mm -hmm. with recognition and understanding. And so that then starts to put more of the pressure on the conversation in, on the actual content and the persona that you're going to bring back in that engagement. And that is something that we're still really in the earliest days of, uh, which is uh, this, you know, the artificial general intelligence being that we saw and how that mm -hmm. suddenly took a life of its own. We're still quite a ways from that. Yep. And uh, fortunately we are still in a uh, wild belief that a human is necessary to pull off a really great engaging experience. So, right. uh, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a really fascinating, uh, fascinating history. I still remember as a, as a kid, uh, my dad was an early adopter of uh, home computers, and we had Eliza on yes. our computer, yes. which uh, Eliza was, uh, was text-based, but, uh, but simulated uh, a psychotherapist, yes. and you would have to reply to prompts, and uh, I remember always trying to get the most, uh, the most wild uh, diagnosis, like if you tried really hard, you could get a paranoid schizophrenic out of her, but you had to really try. And uh, I practiced a lot as a kid. Well, it's uh, good news that you had to really try. And <laughs> it's it true. So, some of us, it comes naturally. It's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and certainly in, 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 in the emergence of Eliza, there, was, there were actually concerns that was this actually exhibiting empathy? Mm -hmm. was, it, was it displaying human emotions? Of course it wasn't. It was a fairly rigid uh, construct, but the first exposure to some of this is naturally from a human perspective can be alarming at times. Yeah. Uh, particularly if it's done really well. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it speaks to the Turing test as well, right? Like, so can, uh, can you simulate uh, through artificial intelligence, something that can pass for human. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think you're, you're spot on around the empathy point, uh, particularly when it's purely artificial intelligence, but then, 
when you get a little more algorithmic in the design and you start to, uh, you know, almost try to soften the rougher edges of the, the artificiality of the intelligence, it can begin to pass more effectively for human, even though in reality, it's less of a generalized intelligence in, in the way that, that, that you were describing. That's right. And what we see a lot of is uh, really good success in tighter domains. So if the expectation is the bot or agent or intelligent assistant you're speaking to knows a lot about a, a narrow set of things, uh, you can find that the engagement levels and the uh, convincing nature of these experiences is very high as opposed to really wide experiences. Uh, I'll use Siri, Alexa in its natural form without third-party apps, et cetera, where they can answer a lot of questions, but only one level deep. And mm -hmm. so you very quickly realize you're not actually, there isn't a more intelligent assistant on the other end. It's a very tertiary level. Yeah, uh, and I, I, interestingly, I've had that experience a lot while dating earlier in my life. But uh, <laughs> but I, but I realize you're you're kind of getting after this in a slightly different way. Right? Yes, yeah. uh, though I'm sure there's applications out there. Yeah, uh, in the works are already out there in the ecosystems. So can you talk to me? I mean, uh, obviously, a lot of interesting uh, directions we could take. Um, I'm certainly interested around the the, the storytelling and uh, character development uh, that I know uh, is something, you know, coming out of Pixar and coming out of sort of the origin story of your organization. Um, that seems very uh, central to uh, some of the depth maybe that you're describing is that like, uh, how do you get it to feel, how do you get the application to feel? And I realize it's a, it's sort of a nebulous uh, quality, but to feel more human and feel more natural and conversational. Yeah, that's, it's a, uh, I think as these devices have proliferated, it's become even more obvious how important it is to actually really think deeply about the persona that you want to project from these experiences. Yep. Uh, we like to say, you know, if you invite the most boring person to dinner, you're probably not going to invite them back. And mm -hmm. in many cases, uh, you know, we're, we're inviting these devices into our homes. And if they're giving us very programmatic, uh, you know, transaction oriented responses, you're less and less likely to actually continue to engage in them. And, uh, so what we've uh, advocated for for a while, and I think it's, it's really resulted in some fantastic work that our customers have ultimately been uh, able to produce is this idea of thinking about it in the, in the traditional storytelling and certainly to use the story arc. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, once upon a time there was, and then this happened and this happened. And thinking about it in that context and actually inverting a little bit, like not being so focused on what do I want this app to do, but actually what's the experience I want the consumer on the other end to have mm -hmm. helps to generate a lot of really good productive thought for organizations that maybe don't bring that approach to the way they interact with customers every day. Yeah. So that's a, a sort of a ground truth where we say, let's talk about how this whole experience is going to feel from a consumer perspective. The second is what's the actual persona that you want to carry forward. And that, uh, gets to things like what's the you know what's the backstory of the assistant that you want right. we've actually done this with alexa and others where you know uh we actually create a fictitious backstory as a, as a representative example to say you know alexa is actually a 35 year old woman with two kids uh lives in just outside of seattle dot 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 uh -huh. and when you start to put that kind of uh 
descriptor around the assistant project you're embarking on, you start to realize, okay, I need to think about how he or she or it will respond to uh, certain situations. And, uh, you know, we talk a lot about, do you want to have a little cheeky response here or there, or does it have to be deadpan and very serious? And there's certainly contexts where that uh, really can delight a user. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes we find an unexpected response where a joke comes back if it's not certain what you just expressed, right. uh, rather than say, I'm sorry, I didn't get that, coming back with, oh, sorry, I got distracted uh, talking to a million other users. Right, uh, right. What was that? Those little interjections and fallback moments when we're, the system isn't sure mm -hmm. makes such a difference in keeping people convinced that this is actually worth their time and energy and they're going to get some joy and excitement out of it. Yeah, it's interesting because it's almost like you need to uh, almost soften and or uh, sidestep a, a, a cold error message yes. and instead, uh, which... Honestly, like it is an example of where we as humans can perhaps learn from how we design our intelligent agents in that if we are flummoxed at some point in, like for example, in this, in this podcast, if I suddenly lost my ability to speak coherently, I almost need to program in, uh, how about this weather or, you know, how about local sports team, you know, and it's like, how do you do that in a way that uh, feels genuine? Right. Um, and then also comes from a, uh, from a place that the brand actually understands, you know, mm -hmm. so like, who do we want to be to this audience? And then how do we sort of embody that through, through, uh, through the backstory and the narrative? I am struck, like, it, I'm struck by how much of it is less um, um, like machine learning and more um, sort of narrative and storytelling and character development. It almost seems like you're borrowing a little more heavily from uh, like the creative space than from the data mining, uh, you know, uh, machine learning side of, uh, of, of, of the 21st century. I, I think certainly relative to a lot of the work being done in this field right now, we, off, we, we advocate and bring a lot more of the arts to the equation. We think it's a combination of art and science sure. ultimately that's going to create the best experiences. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the examples out there in market are very focused on using the best machine learning and AI components to to build the experience. And what we're finding is the engagement levels on those tend to be really low. And, and part of that is they're not taking the time to actually step back for a moment and think about what that experience should be. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll use a quick example. Speaking to a head of customer experience at a bank a few months ago, uh, she was very excited to en embark on a journey with uh, Amazon's platform and said, great, we're going to take our uh, phone tree scripts and we'll just port those over to Amazon and I looked around and asked just kind of innocently do people really love your phone <laughs> and she said no everybody hates them yeah and I thought well let's not recreate those then yeah. in this new channel uh, for engagement let's actually take a step back and think hey you've got an amazing brand uh, what if you carried that forward in this interaction model like mm -hmm. you would hope your sales teams or your customer support teams might in every customer interaction? So it is an opportunity to rethink things. And what we're finding is that persona uh, effort tends to then bleed into other parts of the organization where they start to think about where uh, these different touch points are, 
are, are having an impact with consumer relationships and such. Yeah, I loved how you were talking about uh, the power of surprise yes. and uh, the power of um, uh, using surprise and other elements like that to continually earn the listener's attention where like, um, you know, we talk a lot about the uncanny valley yes. uh, on this show yes. where like, you know, something is not human and when it gets close, it's basically a, a close but failing grade on the Turing test creeps mm -hmm. us out. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also discussion. Uh, I've seen a few articles out there talking about a second uncanny valley where humans start to feel as though they were uh, machines. Like, so they're behaving. And the example that's frequently given is you're so religious about your use of a telemarketing script that I know you're not being genuine with me. And the reaction is very similar to uh, uh, when, a, when a robot is pretending to be human and failing. Interestingly, now there are many cases where humans seem to be failing, failing at the their humanity. Yes. But, um, but, I, but I love the notion that like, you know, in some ways you need to periodically surprise the, and delight in ways that are unexpected it's almost like that variable reinforcement schedule that if unlike a very routinized bot that would always, you know, if this, then that, and I can sort of anticipate it, I'm not getting as much value than if occasionally I, I expect A and instead you give me B with a little bit of flavor yes. or personality. Yes, we, we love to throw some spice into the equation. I think one of the things we often advocate for is uh, in designing these is to, is to make sure you have a, a lot of variation. So each time you come back to engage this assistant, it should say something different. Mm -hmm. Each time uh, you start down a path and the system is maybe not sure what actually your intent is, what, what are you really asking? Mm -hmm. Rather than saying, sorry, I didn't get that, coming back with fun fallbacks, as we call them, where yes. it's, uh, well, I didn't get that. Uh, you know, can you speak louder or just little subtle variations in each of those uh, turns ends up being such a better experience. And uh, we also tend to be, you know, recommend that you not pretend to be the, uh, the being that knows everything and can answer everything. So we do do uh, uh, attempts to try to direct the conversation mm -hmm. so that you can ensure more success because that you know the there is some expectation while well, i'm talking to this computer it must know everything or have right. access to everything and uh, we haven't seen that yeah in practice yet so. yeah 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 no it's uh it's really uh it's really fascinating i, I did want to um maybe move a little more uh closer to uh to kaplan's home uh and try to understand uh, as voice continues to uh, expand and uh, just to be clear too, like we're not just talking about Alexa, we're talking about Alexa and Google Home and um, other voice uh, skills. Cortana. Cortana. There's, there's a variety. There's a, there's, there's, there always seem to be women's names too, which is uh, predominant, I, I guess, within, within the space. Any, uh, any insight into that? There's been a lot of debate online and elsewhere about uh, applying gender in general to these assistants. So uh, you can actually, uh, in most cases, customize the uh, invocation name yes. of the device. So you can, for example, say, hey, computer, uh -huh. uh, and that can wake the Alexa device who forgets that it's Alexa and now responds only to computer. So I think there's variation. My expectation is over time that will increase. You'll have a lot more flexibility. 
there are today really good reasons uh, from a security perspective to have very specific wake words yes. and be able to manage those appropriately. So, uh, you know, as, as many things, when you want more flexibility, uh, you often trade off something. So yeah. we'll see how that emerges. Yeah, we were joking. Uh, you might have the inside uh, intelligence on this, but uh, the the Kevin Durant commercial that was airing during uh -huh. the NBA finals where he was saying, yo, Google, yes. instead of, hey, Google. Yes. Is that now uh, becoming a wake word for Google or was that just, uh, just an entertaining ad uh, Thing. To my knowledge, that was just a very clever campaign. Uh -huh. uh, but I w you know, there's so much uh, innovation happening in this space, and there's such a tremendous amount of investment that it's it's hard for me not to see in just a, a radically different set of capabilities in the next year to two years. It's right. moving so so quickly. And uh, and you're from the Bay Area, and it's difficult out there. I know to tell Kevin Durant uh, that he can't get anything that he wants these days. Uh, anybody on the Warriors these days <laughs> is uh, can get away with whatever they like. So I'm sure there's a Google engineer somewhere working on your Google for them. Right <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. So uh, so moving sort of towards the the learning area. Um, um, I know you and I have kind of brainstormed a little bit about some applications uh, for uh, for for the use of voice to to help with learning. Um, any any that are kind of emerging that are top of mind for you? Yeah, it's an exciting area. I think we saw with mobile in particular, uh, a lot of training has moved from longer formats to shorter bite-sized chunks that are easily consumable at a time and place that is convenient for the learner. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think a lot of those lessons can be applied here. We are, uh, we, what we find is you can go deep on these back and forths. We actually, uh, in, in support of a child's product, Hello Barbie from Mattel, one point we had a child who went four hours straight in hmm. back and forth conversation with the Barbie doll. Um, let's take this back to training. That, that was shocking to me. Yeah, um, yeah. But the point is you, um, what we see as a pattern typically is a shorter session and it may be more targeted with a specific need. And so we've seen a couple of use cases in the learning field so far, uh, Flashcards mm -hmm. is an example where just quick tests of, uh, of, of information has been used to help people in rapidly iterating using voice yep, uh, yep. and some combination potentially of screens as well. So I think it's important to note the canisters and random, you know, the smart speakers we're seeing in a lot of homes today don't have screens. It's my expectation in the future they will either have a screen attached, much like the Echo Show or yep. Google's uh, work on some things, or uh, it'll be actually powering a screen right. independently. And uh, so that mixed media multimodal environment is I think a really rich playground for uh, training and curriculum construction around both the audio and uh, voice components, but also then the supporting content that is actually displayed. That could be a video mm -hmm. or the ability to call up a video that explains a concept. Uh, or it could be in the case of flashcards, you know, uh, uh, a quick reminder of what the definition actually was of the mm -hmm. thing we're trying. Yep. So we've seen some of those uh, use cases. We're also starting to see people explore, which I think is really interesting, more of a conversational learning exercise. So imagine, uh, you know, we all know how rich it is to sit down with a professor and be able to go back and forth and explain a concept. 
Uh, and there's plenty of studies that suggest when you have that conversational experience as opposed to just reading that mm -hmm. you're, you're actually going to retain that knowledge. Uh, the, there are some early uh, tests and, and experiments at the moment with building conversational learning through these platforms. And I think that's got a ton of potential. Uh, and for organizations like Kaplan and others who have invested a lot in great content, figuring out ways to expose that in these new channels is pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I also think, um, you know, uh, like pre-K and uh, early childhood development is an interesting space as well, where you were talking about toys and um, the conversations that, uh, that, a, that a three or four-year-old might have with her toy uh, is actually a learning exercise. Absolutely. And uh, depending on how imaginative and uh, maybe perhaps under-resourced the child, like you may have to have a one-way conversation with the toy. But what you're describing now is a world where that conversation is no longer unidirectional, it's actually bidirectional. And that in of itself, I think from a conceptual level, is something that we're all trying to wrap our heads around. So like the, the three-year-old is now having a conversation with an external agent that is not human. That's really a powerful thing to wrap our heads around. And in some ways, that three-year-old is going to have a very different understanding of what it means to be human and what it means to interact with intelligent agents than you or I did where I was busy with matchbox cars and uh, Legos back <laughs> in the day, as opposed to being able to have an engaging conversation with my teddy bear. That's right. It's a very different world. Well, we all have, you know, well, I shouldn't say all, but many children had that imaginary friend. Right. And in some context to what you're talking about here is literally it's a, a friend yeah. who's bits and bytes somewhere on uh, some cloud server somewhere. Right. It's a different concept, but, but I, I would say it's already happening. Mm -hmm. uh, I look at my own children who talk to their Alexa device like it's no big deal. Mm -hmm. And I still find myself, even though I'm in the field, occasionally remarking on, wow, this is happening in our lifetime. Right. These kids are actually growing up with that uh, as a default. And uh, you could go to the other side of the spectrum as well. There's an aging population yes. that is uh, finding some of these smartphone devices and the, the format to be not accessible anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the natural, uh, the natural conversational element of using some of these platforms, voice platforms, makes it uh, far more obtainable for them to get the news, the latest, uh, you know, whatever recipes, you name it, and very soon shopping at a, at a much larger level. So. You can see uh, on some level there from a from a training and from a kind of a continued education. There's a basically a spectrum here that's growing that very quickly. I think people will assume there's the voice is a natural part of the learning process. Yeah, I remember uh, with my dad. Uh, you know, uh, later on in his life, you know, I got him an Alexa. You know, a couple of years ago, and uh, he was at a point where he was having trouble. Um, you know, having that authority and that command within his voice, and I was struck by how powerful a tool this assistant could be as well for someone who is trying to sort of maintain that sense of autonomy and agency in their life. Yes. And then having, uh, you know, obviously his children might've been less present and perhaps less responsive at times, but the idea that, um, you know, you can uh, mature your ability to speak clearly give commands, speak with an authoritative voice mm -hmm. in a way that uh, frequently we're not asked 
to do that specifically. Um, I think there are broad applications there uh, as well. Yeah, it's again, we're, I think we're at the very early days of this, but the, the applications for learning strike me again, there's, uh, as you've just discussed, the, the early stages, the two or three year old who much like we saw are growing up on iPads and they're you know trying to resize images in, in magazines. Right. They assume everything is. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how that evolves with voice right. and just this baseline assumption that everything is voice accessible. Uh, and we are seeing that. Uh, your toaster ovens, your refrigerators, your cars will all be voice activated. And, and you could literally start a session on a topic of learning about something in your home, hop in your car on your way to work and continue right where you left off. Yeah. So that context shift and it is not necessarily a barrier like it would have been in prior worlds of technology. And it's, it's right in line with another trend we've been tracking around the zero, zero UI movement, where like rather than having to touch a screen or interact with an interface that's designed for me, instead I just speak and I make things happen, which is uh, kind of like a good day at work Yes. Or a good day at home, although those are less and less frequent, uh, which is why I brought my Alexa, <laughs> Alexa in here uh, to, to the office. Um, I think with that, though, comes uh, some challenges just around uh, privacy. And the, so I have, uh, for those of you listening, uh, which is everyone, uh, we're, uh, you know, we brought an Alexa in, uh, but it's right now unplugged because uh, she would have been uh, awoken multiple times and she would have been very confused. Um, but then the notion, uh, and I've mentioned this on the show in the past, uh, many of us uh, are, are, are somewhat troubled by the, the level to which we are being observed, listened to, uh, filmed. Um, is that something you address or something you bump into uh, periodically as, as you're trying to develop a platform for, uh, for voice skills? I'll start with my own personal journey. Certainly years ago when these devices started popping up, I thought there is no way I'm going to put one of those in my house. I, I don't know what's going on. That, that seems really strange. Uh, fast forward, I have them in most of my rooms now and have gotten comfortable with it. I think uh, one of the realities, whether we like it or not, is if you have a smartphone in your pocket right now, all of the componentry that's in that is uh, generally more powerful than these smart speakers right now. And uh, there's a sacrifice, I guess, to be made for the convenience of a smartphone. Uh, but you can set it, your uh, phone up to respond to, hey, Siri, mm -hmm. and it will, if it's an Apple, uh, <laughs> and it will respond just like any of these smart speakers. So in some respects, we've been carrying these devices around for years, and there's actually been plenty of uh, Snowden uh, has been a big advocate for reminding us that, hey, you're yeah. actually doing this already. Uh, so, so we do see some of that. I think there's more comfort as people get educated on the actual technology and some of the uh, fire stops that are in place to keep it from actually snooping and listening into every conversation. You can also press the mute button if you trust that on the top uh, right, in right. the future. But the, um, so, so we do see some of that, but the comes back to kind of the applications and the value that people think it will bring to their experience. And so in some cases, that might be a, a fine trade-off if you can't operate your smartphone or if you want this as a new channel for education. Sure. Um, so it's a quickly and rapidly changing market perception. The tens of millions of these devices are being sold every quarter now. So it's uh, at a point where 
it seems to me at a grand scale, people are getting more and more comfortable with these devices in their homes. Yeah, and, and, uh, and in increasingly uh, in hotels and at uh, college campuses and uh, the adoption curve is such that uh, voice will continue to be an increasing part of our lives on a, on a day-to-day uh, basis. And uh, do you have any uh, recommendations for consumers uh, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, good applications of voice or, or, or good, uh, good skills that are out there that, that people may, may benefit from? Uh, or is it still, uh, you know, just, uh, just having some openness and curiosity about what's emerging today so that uh, you don't you don't miss the train that may be leaving the station. Um, you know, we're coming up uh, towards the end of the podcast. So um, any, any general, uh, you know, you're a, you're a sage uh, gentleman uh, over there. So uh, our listeners who stuck around this long uh, may, may want uh, you to impart a little, uh, a few more morsels uh, of insight. Uh, any, anything top of mind? There, there's uh, a variety of productivity tools like making lists and such, which I can tell you are very handy. So mm -hmm. if you're making that grocery list, it's uh, one of the top use cases today. So I think that getting into the rhythm of using that is, is a classic. Streaming music is another one of the top use cases. And I can assure you that if you're sitting there chopping food at the at the uh, kitchen and you want to call up a new song to stream, it is remarkably effective. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think some of those are the most common use cases so far. What we're seeing now is emergence of uh, games. Trivia games is one of the most popular. So there's Jeopardy, mm -hmm. uh, there's Match Game uh, from Fremantle. They're great examples, I think, of what's possible and also have a potential for a learning context to kind of make it fun and engaging and leaderboards and all the other things that potentially could drive learning outcomes. Uh, I would also, since I know you've covered Westworld uh, here, I think it was last, uh, maybe today. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, there's the Westworld, Westworld skill that just launched ah. a few weeks ago. Uh, that was uh, done by HBO and 360i and might have some of our technology running behind it. That's a really fantastic example of what you can do when you have um, pre-recorded audio content. So if you want an example where literally you don't talk to Alexa ever in the experience, uh -huh. it's all generated through uh, characters in the, in the series. Uh -huh. That is a really fantastic and really fun uh, experience for anybody who's a big fan. And you do need to be a fan to get through there. It's wow. some inside inside baseball stuff in it. It's really fun. That is interesting too. That's more like the sort of the interactive narrative, I guess, right? That's right. Yeah. And, uh, and there's a lot of that happening. So I think the, the most common use cases, some of those utilities that I mentioned, yep. uh, trivia is very uh, hot these days. And then of course the, the interactive narratives as you discussed are really great examples of uh, things you can do. We'll start to see more in the learning space. We'll start to see more in the enterprise kind of classic workflow space as well. Yep. But that's, uh, it's been generally media companies, entertainment companies have seen this as a, and gaming companies have seen this as a new platform to really engage consumers in new ways. And I think that's, those are some of the best examples of what's possible out there today. Yeah, it's, uh, that's fantastic. Uh, any, uh, any parting, uh, parting thank, first off, thanks, uh, thanks a bunch for, uh, for getting on the show. I know we've been friends for some time, so I uh, thought the timing was great to, to pick up on the, on the conversation. 
any uh any i mean you just finished with some parting thoughts but any uh, uh put a put a pin at the end or put a bow on top yeah i think i think one of the topics we started off with i would just reiterate which is how important we've found it to blend art and science into the experience it's not just about creating auto magic uh, narrative content back from some ai system that generally does not work so uh, we really encourage everybody to to bring the human back into that experience and mm -hmm. think about how you would design that experience just like you would a mobile application, a learning a curriculum, you name it. Uh, we think it's still important to have a human in the loop there. So I would encourage anybody who's embarking down this journey to build a voice experience to make sure that you're thinking about it from the character and persona perspective as well as the just raw technical needs that are out there. Yeah, that makes sense. Not forgetting the the humanity uh, that really is powering all this really on both sides, right? That's and right. that uh, ultimately it's not uh, us versus them. It's like, how does the technology enhance our humanity and yes. make us make us, uh, make us us even better? Right. So, uh, so again, thank you, Michael Fitzpatrick, uh, COO and president of uh, Polestring. Interesting company uh, that's out there. Uh, definitely got some insight uh, today. Looking forward to continuing the conversation. And uh, that'll do it for today's extra on uh, the power of voice in, uh, in learning. And uh, with that, we'll wrap up. Uh, remember to follow us on uh, Twitter at Trending in Ed. Uh, and uh, and uh, we'll be back soon.